0: Evening, church. Now, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you, but I just want to see who I'm talking to. Who here has seen Avengers Endgame? All right, okay, that's a lot of you. That's nearly all of you. That's good. But I'm not going to spoil it. Don't worry. Now, before Disney came up with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Disney was more into cartoons. Now, I have a favorite Disney cartoon. Anybody want to guess what it is? Anybody? Okay, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's the Lion King. Yes, you got it right. Who said that? Well, well done. It was the Lion King. Now, I've lost count of how many times in my life that I watched this movie. Now, spoilers alert. Well, I don't care. You had 25 years to watch it. Okay, I'm going to spoil the plot of the Lion King for you. Now, there was this scene in the movie where the papa lion, he was hanging on this cliff, and then his brother just gives him a little shove down, and he falls down this cliff, and he falls down, and he hits the ground, and it's a bad fall, and he's not getting up. Now, every time that I see this scene, something bubbles up within me. And, and if you could do a little time heist, if you could travel back in time to, to get a glimpse of me, you will see me... <laughs> Why isn't he getting up? Why isn't he talking? Disney, you need to chill out. You can't do this to little kids. And you'll probably be thinking, Vindo, get a hold of yourself. You can't be serious, right? But also in the scene, if you remember, there was a little lion, Simba. Simba, a young lion. The reality was, yes, there was a larger force at hand that, that all played to his father's death, but it is no undeniable facts that it was his will of defiance towards his father that added to all this chaos. And when reality sank in for our protagonists, what did he do? What was his response? He ran away. He ran away. He ran away, giving up his throne, giving up his inheritance, living a total life from royalty. But it wasn't the worst life. It wasn't like the thug life. It wasn't a life of crime. No, it was an okay type of life. He made some friends, a kuna matata, and he ate some bugs. Not the worst life. But by running away, he abandoned a world, or I say a pride, which desperately needed him. Now, why do I bring this up? Because I see that too many times I see people abandoning God, running away from the calling that Jesus had for their life. And it breaks my heart when I hear things like when, when I get to know new people and they say, oh yeah, I used to go to church, but something along the way happens. And this happens to a lot of my friends growing up as well. And when, when we get back together and when we re- reminisce about the old times at church, it's like, oh, remember that time we used to do this at church and this at church and, and this happened? But then silence. Why? Because they left church completely. And they were one of the people that served with me in the front lines as leaders. They used to be so on fire, but now their fire has been snuffed out for Jesus. And it breaks my heart when there's that silence where they have just run away. It's it's not like they become the worst people in society. No, no, they got a good job. They They build good relationship. They have a family now. It's not the worst type of life, but they're not where they're supposed to be. They are far away from God, and it breaks my heart. And today, maybe you find yourself in the same category. Or maybe at the brink of falling into that group. And you may be wondering, what is God thinking of me? And this sermon is for you. And we'll be looking at the life of Peter tonight. Jesus resurrected from the grave and he meets his disciples. And then somewhere along the line, he commands his disciples to wait on some mountain in Galilee. But what we find here in this passage in John 21, if you can turn your Bible to John 21, we find them instead of on a mountaintop in Galilee, they are in a beach somewhere fishing. They're meant to be there, but they're here. But before we get into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray for those of us who've been lied to. That they're so far gone, that we are not good enough, that we are unworthy to be loved by you or to be used by you. I pray that your Holy Spirit tonight reveal the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 21, you there? To first appreciate this passage, we need to get to know the man, Peter himself. Now, who is Peter? Peter, he is one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, and he is their leader. Now, he is the type of guy that is so impulsive that gets angrily easy, and he is a guy with no filter. He's, like has, he's missing parts of his brain or something, like he just keeps doing stuff. Now, if he was a cop, he'd be that type of cop that shoots first, asks questions later. America. Oh, I'm sorry, Americans in, in the room are listening to our podcast. Now during his ministry, Jesus' ministry, midway, the, the disciples were in a boat and they encounter a freak storm and, and they see a shadow walking on the waters and they thought it was a ghost and they start, start panicking. And then Jesus says, chill out boys, it's just me. And Peter says, oh, Jesus, if it's you, you tell me to come down to you right now. And Jesus says, Peter, it's me. You can come. And so Peter was the only disciple that was brave enough to step out into the water. He starts walking on water, but then he saw the waves and the big winds, and then he starts slinking, and then he starts sinking. And Jesus had to rescue him Oh, Peter, what are you doing, man? Fast forward. Right at the Last Supper, as the squad makes their way to the Garden of Gethsemane on their way on their journey to that place, Jesus predicts, "Hey, all of you guys are going to abandon me and peter he was again the only one that steps forward and says, No ah jesus they i 'm not going to abandon you, they may do, but but i got you back I got you and jesus goes no peter you 're not going to just deny me once or twice you 're going to deny me thrice and Peter's like, no, uh uh, uh like, no way, I'd rather die than to deny you. And then when the hour finally came, the soldiers came and arrested Jesus, and, and Peter steps up again. He's, again, this is the only disciple that ever steps forward, and he steps forward and, and he pulls out his knife, his little fishing knife or sword, whatever, and he says, well, oh, get behind me, everyone, I, I got you, I protect you. And what Peter does, he, he He takes his sword and he tries to end a dude. He tries to kill a dude. He aims for the head, but he gets a lobe. What a guy, right? And Jesus is saying, oh, Peter, just just, just stop. Stop. And Jesus gets arrested. And like Jesus predicted, every single one of them, including Peter, abandons him. And then we see a scene in the courtyard where Peter is is amongst this crowd seeing his master who used to get the celebrity treatment is now treated like a criminal. And he's just there warming his hand on a charcoal field fire, just minding his own business. And then out of nowhere, a little girl comes to him and asks, Hey, 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 aren't you, weren't you with that man? And and Peter, he's and now he's like, oh, you got the wrong person. And, and because of that little commotion, other people from the crowd started coming and, Surround Peter, oh yeah, 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 we always see you hang with that guy, w- weren't you a part of his crew, a part of his squad, and Peter's like, no, no, you got the wrong person, and again, there was this other per- person who was related to the guy that Peter chopped the ear off, and he's probably thinking in his mind, hey, wasn't that the guy that chopped my cousin's ear off, and he goes to Peter, and he challenged Peter, hey, hey weren't you in the garden with Jesus? And Peter, he's so agitated at this moment. And he says, no, I am, I'm not with that man. I don't even know the man. You've got the wrong person. And what Peter starts doing is he starts cussing at Jesus. He starts cussing at Jesus. Now to call a curse upon Jesus was all the proof that Peter needed to persuade the crowd around him that he had nothing to do with Jesus. Now, this is especially convincing in a shame and honor culture where it's all about high loyalty. It's so important. Now, when the crowd heard that Peter starts cursing at Jesus, they'd probably be jaws dropped and they're probably, oh, oh, okay, yeah. Oh, he just swore at the guy, just caught a curse upon this Jesus. Oh, yeah, of course. How silly of us to, to think that he's even with the guy. It's, it was proof. It was convincing enough when Peter started cursing at Jesus. And the Bible tells us the rooster crows. And get this. It says that Jesus then looks straight at Peter. And Peter remembered everything that he ever promised Jesus and how he just failed and he, and he broke it all. And the Bible says he ran away and he wept bitterly. Now you would too. If someone, just imagine if someone out there who gave their everything for you, who invested in you, who taught you everything, who coached you through your life, who loved you, and you abandoned them to save your own skin, you caught curses upon them, it is equivalent to betraying them. How would you feel? Just to save your own skin. What you would be feeling at that moment. you will be feeling like a coward. And you'll be probably thinking, how would I ever able to forgive myself? How would I ever able to get past this? We are very much like Peter. And I sense that there are people in this room, and there are people that's going to listen online to this podcast. You were once so passionate about Jesus Christ. You used to serve him so much and so fervorously. But something happened along the way. And you feel like God's left you. But if you are honest, no, no, no. God never left you. You left him. When was the last time you picked up your Bible? Is it collecting dust? When was the last time you spent time in prayer and on your knees with him, just delighting in him? When was the last time you did that? And maybe because you've left that away for a long time, some of you are feeling so much guilt and shame that you think God is disappointed in you, angry with you. And and you feel you are so unworthy to serve God, let alone be in the presence of God. Maybe there's something that happened in your past that you can't get past But tonight, there's good news. Jesus seeks after you like how he would seek after his disciple. When they're supposed to be on some mountain, here they are at the beach in their boat fishing. And you know what Jesus does? Jesus went and sought after them. And he's come tonight to seek after you. Why? To bring you back. That's why. Now let us look at the text. John 21. It starts off with Peter saying in the chapter, I'm going fishing. And the other disciples is like, are you going fishing? Yeah, we're going to go fishing as well. Why? Because Peter, he's just a leader. He just influences them. And now the commentators, when I, when I studied this passage, they're so divided on this. Now, a, a huge one hand, a huge bulk of commentators says, oh, okay, the disciples, when they went down to fishing, it was just to kill time. It was not harmful. It wasn't disobeying God or anything. they just waiting for Jesus, nothing to do. They got hungry, and so they went fishing just to feed themselves. It's just really no harm. Or you can understand it like this. If you are looking at who's talking and what they've said, now, who is Peter? He is an ex-fisherman by, tr- by trade, and he says, I'm going fishing. Now, what does that mean? An example that I heard online by a pastor by the name of Ben Stewart, who, who gave me this idea. Let's say I, I say to Demi, hey, Demi, dear, I'm, I'm going to play basketball. And I look all swole and stuff, and I go off and play basketball. Now, in her mind, what she's probably thinking is, my husband, he's going to try to get the ball and he's never going to dribble it and make a layup because he's too small. What he's going to do is he's going to try to just shoot straight away and he's going to get nothing but net or air. just just <laughs> totally misses or get rejected or something like that. And if she thinks like that, she's, she's right. <laughs> she's right. But if Michael Jordan, you know, you know who Jordan is, yeah? And if you were old enough to remember when he held a press conference after that unfortunate waste of time of baseball, if you were old enough to remember that conference, there he said the exact same sentence, the exact same line. He says, I'm going to play basketball. Now, no one in the reporter group said To Michael, or question him, oh, Mike, Mike, what do you mean you're gonna play basketball? Is it you're gonna play with the kids? Are you gonna play socially? Or are you gonna play in your like a park somewhere? What do you mean you're gonna play basketball? No one asked that. Why? Because it was Michael Jordan who's talking. And when Michael Jordan talks about playing basketball, it is a career move. Same in this passage, who's Peter? Just like his father and his fathers and his fathers before him, they were all fishermen. And he inherited this job by trade. And so this is a career move. Until, up until the point that he meets Jesus and Jesus tells him, Hey, hey, drop your nets, drop your boats, come and follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Up until that point, he was a fisherman. And now what we see in this passage is God told him to be fishers of men, but now he's back and he says, I'm going Fishing. And yes, it was for aquatic, aquatic animals, not humans. He went fishing. And, he's, and he says, I am going fishing. You know what? I'm not going to be the worst type of guy. I'm not going to be the worst guy you meet. I'm just going to live a normal life. That's what we do, don't we? We just get busy. Working. When we run away from God, we just go day by day, routine after routine, doing the things that we know, that we're comfortable at, that we're good at. I'm just going to go fishing. And our life is dictated by distractions, procrastinations, and we're so lethargic because we're clueless and we're feeling confused of what path to take next. Or maybe, maybe you know exactly what you must do but you totally ignore the calling of God for your life, and you say, I'm going fishing. I'm going fishing. And the disciples, they spend the whole night fishing, but they caught nothing. Now, isn't this funny? Isn't this how it usually is when we ain't living the will of God for our lives? Don't you find your life fruitless, joyless, tasteless. Let's be honest, you're not happy. There's no delight. And when we're in that type of state, here's the good news. Guess who's coming for us? Verse four. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood ashore, doing what? Waiting for them. They were meant to be on some type of mountain Waiting for him. That exact location, we, we don't know. But he says, meet me there. But they're not there, but they're here. And guess who's waiting for them here? Jesus is waiting. Jesus sought after them, and Jesus is waiting for them. And as they got closer, he, he says... Now, in the English text, you will see brothers, but, but really, in the Greek text, he's saying, kids, or, or boys, hey, little boys, you caught nothing. huh? And they answered... No. And Jesus says, hey, why why don't you try casting your net from the left to the right? Maybe you catch some fish. And they did that. And what happened was so many fishes started to have suicidal thoughts and jumped in the net. And there were so many fish that they can't haul it back into into the boat. Now, wait a minute. Haven't we heard this exact same story, this exact same scenario somewhere early in Jesus' ministry life? You're right. You're right. This isn't the first time that Jesus performs this miracle. Because on the very day that he calls Peter, Peter, follow me. Don't miss this. Here in this exact moment, this very moment where Peter feels most of a failure, Jesus recreates a miracle that he first used to call Peter to walk with him. Jesus reuses this miracle to how he first connected with him. Peter, you're you're not too far gone. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, the author, how he likes to refer to himself. It says, he says to Peter, Peter, it's Jesus. And look at what Peter does. And this is my prayer for many of you tonight. Look at what Peter does. He puts on his clothes and he jumps in the sea and he starts swimming towards Jesus. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to Jesus. I'm coming back to him. Was it pretty? No. Was it silly and weird? Yes, because usually people take off their clothes and then jump in the water. Nobody's putting on clothes and then jumping in. No one does that. But he threw himself at the sea. Did it say he he dove or he dived? No, it wasn't graceful. It was messy. Why? Because he was a mess. And John the author, just to show you how troll that he is, look at verse 8. He says, the other disciples followed in a boat with the fish that they were hauling. Because they were not far away from shore. They were only 100 yards away. So imagine the scene. Peter just, just, oh, it's Jesus. He, he puts on his clothes. He jumps down and he starts swimming and huffing whoa, 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 and splashing. And all the other disciples are just leisurely rowing. Yeah, Peter, you can do it. <laughs> yeah, come on, Peter. Just, just don't worry about him. It's, it's kind of his thing. Just, just let him be. Can you imagine that scene? But aside all that, You don't have to come back to Jesus looking all pretty and neat and put back together. Just come to Jesus as you are. Throw yourself at him. Verse 9. They arrived on the shore. They saw a fire of burning coals. There was already fish on it and some bread. And Jesus already has fish. He doesn't need this, but he prepares a meal for them instead. And he invites them and he says, come to breakfast. How benevolent is our Lord that we serve, that before we even serve him, he serves us. Look at how kind that he was. Look at how merciful that he was. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't rebuking at them. He wasn't angry. Didn't I tell you to go to some mountain? Why are you at the beach fishing? He doesn't do any of that. And some of you have been constantly hearing this lie inside your head, a voice that is constantly condemning you, tormenting you, that you are a failure, that you are not good enough, that God is angry with you and disappointed in you. But I want you to see the real Jesus. Look at how gentle and how meek our Christ is. And he says, have some breakfast, have some fish and bread. And he prepares a warm place for them, and he sits them down in the middle of fire. Now this fire was charcoal filled. It was fueled by charcoal. Now you might miss this, but I'll point it out to you. This charcoal fire is a very specific term that only gets used twice in the Bible. Here, in this passage, and at the very same instance where Peter on that courtyard was warming his hands. Same charcoal fire. So what is Jesus doing here? He recreates the point of connection with him and Peter through the fishing miracle. And he also recreates the point of disconnection where Peter feels... Like he's failed Christ and betrayed Christ. What happens now is what Tim Keller calls surgical counselling. Look at the conversation. Making Peter retraces his steps. What Jesus is not doing, let me first start off with that. What Jesus is not doing, he's not saying, hey, hey, come back to God, everyone. Uh, he accepts you as you are, and that's it. You don't, you don't need to change. You, you don't need to worry about sin. If you want to continue to live in that kind of sin, that type, that type of lifestyle, that sinful type of lifestyle, even though the Bible says it's, it, it's a sin, it, it's okay, God accepts you anyways. No, 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 what, that's the, what, not what Jesus is doing. Because that's what we call cheap grace. Because if I ever bubble wrap what sin is, if I ever soften it up and, and, and not tell you about how destructive your sin is, what I am doing is I'm watering down the gospel and cheapening what Jesus has done on the cross for you. And I can't do that. So that's not what Jesus is doing. Because if that was the case, Jesus could have just said, Peter, come, I accept you. And yeah, you can continue on doing what you're doing. You can continue on, but Jesus doesn't do that. But Jesus makes Peter painfully retrace his steps. And he asks, Peter, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now, what are these? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But some people have suggested maybe Jesus, when he points, do you love me more than these? He might have been pointing to the fish, the boat, and the 153 big fishes that they caught, which means a lot of money or or, or the food that they were about to consume. So uh, in other words, Peter, do you love me more than your career? Do you love me more than money, your comfort, and what you're good at? Do you love me more than your hobbies and, and, and all that things? Do you love me more than those? Or Jesus could have been pointing to Peter, do you love me more than these? And he might have been pointing to the disciples because remember, there was a scene where Peter says, Jesus, I love you more than these guys could ever would, be, would love you. I'm not going to abandon you, but, but they would, but, but me, no. Peter, do, do you love me more than those disciples? Now what these were, I don't know. It could be both. Well, the disciples are grabbing a fish about to eat and Jesus points at both of them. I don't know. You you go ask Jesus and Peter in heaven. But look at the conversation. There's a question, there's a reaction, and then there's a commission. And there's a wordplay that happens in the Greek. When Jesus asked, do you love me? Because in the Greek, there's four different types of word for love. in here, there's two types of love that gets played out. And so the first question that Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you agape love me? Do you love me with a type that is divine, that is self-sacrificing, that is unconditional, a love that is 3,000? And Peter here once, for once, is a bit sheepish, sheepish about this. He's a bit sh- quiet about this. Lord, I, you know that I filio love you, which means I, I admire you. I don't, I don't love you this much, but, but maybe this much. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. Jesus asks again, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter replies, Jesus, I, I love you not that much, but, but this much. And only on the third time, Jesus brings that love down to Peter's level. Peter, fine. Do you feel love me? Do you love me this much then? And it says in the Bible that Peter is hurt, that he is grieved. Lord, you know all things. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Now, why did Jesus ask and interrogate Peter three times? Oh, you you think you love me more than those guys? Didn't you proclaim that? Oh, Peter, do you really love me? If you can't love me that much, do you even love me, Filio, that much? Do you? No, no, that wasn't what Jesus was doing. Jesus wasn't twisting the knife in Peter. No, but Jesus was using a knife. But for surgical reasons. It was for Peter's good. It's, let's say you have skin cancer somewhere in your body. Now, you're not going to punch the doctor that cuts it out, right? No, it's, it's for your good. It's, it will hurt you at that time and during the time of your healing, but in the long run, it's for, so that you could live. You, you don't punch doctors for that. And so this is the same There will be a day in your life where God, in His words, will hurt you. But in the long run, it's so that you could live. At some point in your life, it will hurt you. He will operate on you, refine you, prune you, convict you. Why? Because He loves you. And what Peter is experiencing here is found in 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10. Godly sorrows brings repentance that leads to salvation, that leaves no regrets, but worldly sorry, brings death. So this was the type of grief that Jesus inflicting on Peter to liberate Peter. Now why did Jesus have to do this? Why did Jesus have to hurt Peter? Jesus knew he had to deal with this because every time when Peter would have heard the roost the crows, He would be reminded of his failure and it would traumatize him and will stop him from being who he needs to be for Christ. And so Jesus is here, is dealing with that. Peter, I want you to be the shepherd for my sheep. Peter, if you really say you love me, if you really say you love me, then love my sheep. You feed them, you care for them, and you feed them. Who is Christ's flock? It's the church. It's the church. If you say you love Jesus, do you love his flock? Do you love his church? Do you serve your brothers and sisters? Since when have we started complicating things? Because I know people who, who left churches because, man, church isn't up to the standard what I'm thinking. But, but all here, Jesus is saying, hey, hey, if you say you love me, you take care of my flock. You love my church. The last few weeks, I started to doubt myself. I started to be tormented by these questions, do I have what it takes to continue to lead Oikos Church? And last week there was, an, there was a moment in weakness where I totally broke down. I just wanted to pack up shop and, and move back to Brisbane where my family is because Because I have no family here. Demi doesn't have any family. We are here alone. And and I just felt so alone and I just felt so tired that I just wanted to go. I wanted to run away. But I felt firsthand this passage. Because before I could preach this passage to you, it happened to me. When I was about to run away, when I was about to give up everything, Christ came to me and he sought after me, and he did some surgery on me, and to resend me. He, he gave me a wife who was totally supportive of, supportive of me that night. And also that very same night, I got some random text message from a guy that I don't even talk to that much. And, and just to encourage me, I'm like, what, what is going on? And then on Sunday last week, if you were here for Phil's sermon, it was talking about doubting Thomas. And, and it, was, it spoke to me. And funny enough, that same night after the service, Phil's dad came to me and says, oh, um, I want to pray for you. And this is his prayer. God said, Dex, stop doubting yourself. Amen. That was it. But in those short few words, I knew exactly what he was talking about. He, Phil's dad didn't know what was going on, but, but I did. And throughout this week going to Sun Life and, and, and listening to podcasts, everything was God just reassuring me, hey, it's not about what you think about yourself. It's what I think about you. I've called you to be the pastor of Oikos Church. And I want to thank you, Oikos Church, because you have been such a loving family to me and Demi and Ariel. I love it how you just love my two girls. I know that I can go to church and don't see Ariel, but I'm not worried about her. Why? Because I know that she's in someone's hands and you are playing with her and loving her. Thank you for that. Also, on that night, on that Sunday night, a family, just out of nowhere, came to Demi and gave Demi a sum of money, a gift of money. And at first, we didn't know what was to be used for, but I was encouraged. Money is good, but... (laughs) I didn't know what it was used for, but then we found out also earlier this week that there's a retreat that's happening, and so I signed me and Demi to go for that, and that money covered that retreat. And so I'm going this weekend just to restore myself. But again, thank you Oikos Church for being such a good flock that as I try my best to faithfully serve you, care for you, feed you with God's word, Thank you that you are letting me, being who I am, being called to, to be your shepherd. And God's called someone as mediocre as me. If you know my past, I'm not the smartest. I did so bad at grades. If you look at my sermon notes, it doesn't make sense because only I can read it because I'm, I'm like mildly dyslexic and you won't, you, and, and even my friends are baffled, like how can you keep writing essays week in, week out because they think sermons are essays because i Pretty much nearly failed English, but God has called someone as messed up as me. I was a mess, but I'm called to be a messenger. And I believe that He's called some of you, yes, come to Him as a mess tonight, because He wants you to be His messenger for the world. And that's what He's doing to Peter. So let's finish off this passage, verse 18. I'll tell you the truth. When you were younger, Peter, you dressed yourselves, and you did whatever you wanted, go wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and someone else would dress you, someone else would lead you to where you do not want to go. Now, this was indicating the death that Peter would have. Now, the stretching out of hands was metaphoric at that time how they spoke of crucifixion of the cross. Now, Eusebius, a historian, records that Peter literally got crucified, but upside down because he felt that he was unworthy. Here in this interview, we heard the conversation. Peter was even doubting himself. Jesus, I don't even know if I could love you that much. I don't even know if I could live for you. But Jesus says, no, 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 Peter, Peter. There will be be a day that you would even die for me like you said I would die for you my Lord there will be a day where you're not going to love me this much but you're going to love me this much and he dies a similar death to his master because he followed his master and his death glorified Christ. That's what it says. Like, in your old days, your death will glorify me. Not just your life, but even in your death. Now, don't get disconnected from Peter, this character at this point. Dying, oh, I don't know if I'm called for that. Okay. Verse 18. Verse 18 is a metaphor for all Christian. It's a metaphor of life that we... That's, that's what the Christian life should look like. Yes, some of you... May die for the name of Christ but others of us we are all called to pick up a cross and deny ourselves hey there, there was a day that you, you used to dress yourself do anything that you wanted no no but when you follow me you don't make the rules anymore I would lead you There will be a day where you stretch up your hands, where you are vulnerable, you you are open to people. And your life and your death would glorify me. And then the comedic end of the book of John, Peter sees John walks past and Peter says, what about him? And Jesus says, no, 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 Peter. It's just me and you at the moment. Don't worry about the path that he's gonna take. Don't compare the walk with me and you, to the path of me and Him. Church, Jesus is dealing with each one of you individually tonight. And He says, follow me. You must follow me. And the author of John finished up by saying, this disciple who testified these things, who wrote them down, And we know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well, but if every one of them was written down, I suppose that even the whole world could not have room for the books that he could write. Amen. God bless you, church.